0: Hi, everyone. My name is Steven Kilgar. I'm the Managing Editor of Feeding Grain Magazine and the host of the Feeding Grain Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today as we dive deep into the issues affecting feed manufacturing, grain handling, and other allied industries. Today, I'm speaking with the Vice President of Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board and the U.S. Soybean Export Council, Mac Marshall. We are talking about soybean checkoff program, how they encourage innovation with soybean products, and some of the fun innovations that might be happening just around the corner. So, Thank you so much for listening. Before we start, if you're listening to this in a podcasting app, please rate us and subscribe. If you're listening online, sign up for Feeding grain newsletter, industry watch to see the latest podcast and stay up to date with all the latest news around the industry. Now, on to the show.
1: What the Checkoff does. I mean, you think about the the wave of innovations that have unfolded over the last thirty years. I mean, I've talked about renewable diesel as this kind of emerging space here and new center of demand for soybean oil that's creating all these ripple effects throughout the soybean economy. I think we're in that place without Checkoff investments towards finding a home for soybean oil in biodiesel back in the 1990s. Say the market environment that we're looking at now stands on the shoulders of giants from then. Mm -hmm. So that's important to remember. Checkups are also working on market expansion domestically and internationally. I mean, think about like how export-oriented the soybean industry has become. We export on a volume basis over half the soy produced in this country either in the form of meal oil or whole beans. Maybe some of that shifts in the coming years as we start crushing domestically. But all of the market developments that we're seeing unfold now are, I think, outcomes of prolonged investment towards research and development and marketing Mm -hmm. and promotion, being able to showcase the intrinsic and extrinsic benefits of the US origin soy, right? It's Mm -hmm. advancing our sustainability profile telling the story about it, being able to report out, all of these things are enabled through investments that the soy checkoff has made. And let's think about even beyond our world of soy here, project that I think we're particularly proud of in the inception of this predates me, so there's nothing I can take credit for, that's for sure. But it's the dredging of the lower Mississippi River. Mm -hmm. Several years ago, SB had decided to invest two million dollars towards site design feasibility studies, basically all the pre-construction, pre-dredging work for the lower Mississippi River, because we can't invest towards physical infrastructure. We can't invest towards steel on the ground. We can't invest for the actual physical dredging, for the feasibility studies, economic impact, understanding what the benefits and value and you know realistic ability to actually um to have that that dredging project executed. Well, that $2 million investment towards kind of report, site design, and everything helps catalyze and unlock literally hundreds of millions of dollars in state and federal funding that says, hey, oh, lowering the draft of the lower Mississippi River from 45 to 50 feet, that is going to generate some pretty important economies of scale as we're able to get larger vessels into that channel. That means greater efficiency of transportation, which if you're thinking from the export side, which is where we're going to worry for soy, again, that means saving on transportation costs. As you get more efficient transportation, your transportation costs go down, your basis goes down, and that means farmers are taking less of a haircut on basis. That's phenomenal. But let's also consider soy's contribution using this investment as an example. Soybean farmers aren't, and soybeans are not the only products that uses the Mississippi River, right? Mm-hmm. There's a whole host of other industries that utilize that for shipping raw material commodities up and down. You can think about construction materials, cement, concrete, all of that. Having greater efficiency there is certainly critical for other parts of the economy. We're thinking about the input side for farmers. Again, we think about vessels going down the Mississippi. Vessels also go back up, bringing fertilizer and crop protection products, other other things that are needed for farming. So if you have efficiency on getting those to farmers too, that's also a benefit. We certainly have seen over the last couple of years, the impact that snarled supply chain lines can have on the ability to produce. That's certainly Mm. pronounced a lot in the manufacturing sector, certainly in farming as well. I mentioned earlier that Last year, not as much corn went in the ground, I think, as maybe the market was calling for due to some availability issues with fertilizer and other inputs. So anything that could be done to help de-bottleneck and streamline that is really important. So just one check off investment there and one that I think has helped create a model. Uh, One that we're working on now is uh, investing towards the expansion of the Port of Grays Harbor in Mm. western Washington state. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because that's a critical meal export terminal. And seeing the capacity go from 3 million tons annually to 6 million is pretty substantial when you consider the volume we're going to have coming online in the coming years. And the need to have an efficient means of transportation to get it from point of crush to point of use, be that within the country or flowing out into those export channels through that port there. So there's a lot of things that come together. Soy really does the economy. It's mm-hmm. uh, actually a recent study to come out showing soy's contribution to the economy in excess of 124 billion dollars annually. That's that's not a insignificant figure, I and mean, it's more than half a percentage point of total U.S. economic activity. According mm-hmm. to this report. So yeah. uh, seeing all the places that soy touches really, I think, does emphasize I think what a strong overall demand environment that we have, there's an increasing appreciation for all the uses and versatility of soy. But of course, just as our farmers never rest on their laurels and are always exercising continuous improvement, same is true for the checkoff and how we think about the waves of investments that are going to be generating that next round of value for farmers and our partners throughout the value chain all the way to the consumer.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, especially because people, I think, when you look outside of it, and you don't know much about the program. They tend to forget that U.S. soy farmers are all individual business owners. They tend to be pretty small. I know there's a big myth about giant factory farms, but they don't. In my experience, there are very few. <laughs> These really, really large farms aren't all that common.
1: That the vast, overwhelming majority, well in excess of 90% of farms in this country are family owned.
0: Mm -hmm. So they're small and they need a group to come together, someone to advocate for them because it's impossible to do it for yourself. You can't be an ambassador to U.S. soil. You're also on the farm trying to to grow it, right? It's it's a lot to ask.
1: It absolutely is. And that's one of the things that I find impressive with our our farmer directors. They're volunteers. They're volunteering Mm -hmm. their time away from the farm to help set up the industry better in the years ahead. We talk about intergenerational farming and a lot of, I think, justifiable pride in that where farmers don't farm for a year, they're the best stewards of the land and want to make sure that the subsequent generations are able to prosper as well. And and that's why you have to continually have this ability to tell your story, I think individually and collectively. You know, your point, all our farmers, They're, uh, they're individual business people. And so they each have their own unique story. And I I love hearing those. I love when people who otherwise wouldn't meet a farmer finally get to hear how their operations work, their story of their farm. It really lends another layer of appreciation to the role that food and ag play in each one of our lives, even if it is unseen. But part of this is to make it more seen and
0: heard. Yeah, that's a really good point, especially because it always annoys me when farmers are kind of demonized in (laughs) popular culture, usually by people who have never met a farmer in their lives.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's and that's, I think, one of the challenges is because, I mean, I said this at an event at Commodity Classic earlier this year, maybe you and I, Stephen, like we've had the opportunities to meet people in agriculture. And even coming from non-ag backgrounds, it's it's being able to meet people that helps get you more and more interested, better understand where you are, learn new questions to ask, and and continue that journey of exploration. And I think that's all very well and good and exciting, but you can't expect everybody to do that. And so I think it becomes more and more incumbent upon the agricultural and farming community to. Again, be telling their stories to reach out to parts of society that may not understand farming or don't have an appreciation for it or orient it without truly understanding what it is. It, it's very easy to demonize the unseen because it's convenient. I think that's probably a negative universal human truth. But I think once you have those points of connectivity, you know, once you can see somebody, once you can be on their field. Or hear them talk about it. It changes your perspective, and those are moments that I think are really critical for for drawing out more partnership, unity, and collaboration that we need in the ag value chain. But I think we also more generally need it as people.
0: Yeah, we're all we're all just trying to get by. <laughs> Every farmer is the same way. No farmer wants to destroy the land or <laughs> pollute or do any of that. We're all just looking for solutions to to make it through this this crazy yeah. world of ours, aren't we?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and and ideally setting it up in the best way possible for our subsequent generations.
0: Exactly. I've never met a farmer that doesn't secretly want their their farm to be passed on to their children or their grandchildren.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Talked with a number of farmers recently you know, who expressed a lot of concern about that continual creep up in the average age of farmers in the United States. And it's not just in the U.S. That trend, I think, is being observed on a global basis as well. And it raises the question, right? If the average of farmers keeps creeping up, like who's going to be the next generation to kind of continue that on, right? We have to bring more and more young people into, into that world of food and egg. And maybe that doesn't necessarily mean farming, but I think it means playing a role in it and mm-hmm. helping illuminate just how this all comes together.
0: Yeah, exactly. So... Let's talk a little bit about some of the the projects and initiatives you guys have over at the United Soybean Board.
1: Yeah, I think to maybe break it down, I'll give you an idea about how we think about value creation and how that's all set up, right? So we think about deriving value for farmers really through reputation, differentiation, and resilience. So that's how do you build more resilient revenue streams? How do you help differentiate through evidence-based marketing the value of US soy in various applications. And then how do you tell about it? How do you really kind of enhance that that reputation piece? The portfolio that farmers or that our directors will evaluate each year is really subdivided into a couple different areas. So we look at supply and demands across, you know, really three priority areas. One is infrastructure and connectivity. So I mentioned some of the, the dredging project and expansion of of Grace Harbor. Well, infrastructure and connectivity also means connectivity to markets. So that's investing towards rural broadband which is essential for farmers to be able to communicate and have information flow back and forth. It's also continuous market research, better understanding opportunities that are out there in more novel spaces. So health and nutrition is second pillar. And that really extends everywhere from on-farm, in-soil health, to in human health, really at the, the end of the consumer value chain here. It's everything from taking things that are out there like soy allergenicity and misconceptions Mm. around that. Okay, well, how do we use scientific evidence and research to help demystify that and be like, okay, well, actually the incidence of allergenicity is way less than it's purported to be, as one example. Through that, you can help kind of unlock barriers for additional soy inclusion in, in other applications or increased uptake in the food space. And then, of course, innovation and technology, that looks supply side, demand side. That's, hey, what what are some of the novel things that we can introduce and test on farm that might lead to increased efficiency of production? But it's also looking at the demand side. You know, one thing that has always struck me over these last couple of years, I mean, I've worked, you know, in soy before when I worked for Monsanto and Bayer. You know, soy was, you know, our second most important portfolio crop. On a revenue basis after corn. So corn got the vast majority of my attention, so I got plenty of it. But I was always thinking in a very commoditized space, I think about soy as something for animal feed or to a lesser extent for biofuels. Those are really two of the bigger buckets that are out there and of course food applications. But I never really gave thought to all the unique places that you can find soy yeah, yeah. as far as like surfactants, adhesives, concrete stabilizers, goodyear tires, shoes, paint coatings, dust suppressants, uh, and fire extinguishers. It, I mean, it, it's really, really crazy how many places you can find it. And that's all stuff that goes on through that innovation technology, mm-hmm. you know, funding stream. It's working with universities and, and private sector players who are trying to advance proofs of concept, seeing the viability of soy and in various applications, and you know, sometimes these things take a while to to catalyze and commercialize. But dealing up all the uh, the places you can have soy really helps harness the power of, of the whole bean.
0: Yeah, speaking of that, um, the Soy Innovation Challenge for twenty twenty three is coming up pretty soon. Can you tell us anything about it yet?
1: It is. This one is very fun. This is actually the third iteration of the Soy Innovation Challenge. So the first one we conducted in 2020 in conjunction with the Yield Lab Institute as their operational partner and an Amazon Web Services. And that challenge was really kind of open-ended and focused on, hey, what are innovations that, that are working discovery around the world. What can they bring to different parts of the soy value chain? So our winner then was a company called Amphora, which you might know now is Regrow Ag, really taken off uh, over the last couple of years. So that's exciting. We had a challenge earlier this year focused on soy meal. Now, the reason we focus on soy meal is, well, with that increased crush capacity we have coming online, increased availability of meal, the time is right for finding. Ways to advance soybean meal utilization in existing channels, and that was the focus of challenge that we had in the spring, which was uh, Satavi, which has Mm -hmm. a novel extraction process for soy meal that can lead to uh, different advanced health outcomes for animals that are consuming uh, meal from that process. So that's exciting. And then this third challenge, which we're kicking off, is very meal focused as well but it's on novel applications that we might not have seen before. Now, oil gets a lot of use in the industrial space, meal less so. So as far as innovators that are out there, we're really excited to have this somewhat open aperture to Mm -hmm. parts of the economy and people in the technology and R&D space in industries that maybe we haven't been as close with or haven't touched before. But if there's an application for soy meal uh, and ability to use it in some place that we haven't considered before, this is the opportunity for creative and smart, business savvy innovators to come together and start showcasing what can potentially be done there. So we're partnering again with Yield Lab Institute and excited to see the applications come in and just to see where all the ideas are for, for soy meal.
0: Uh, So we've been going for a while now. Uh, I think I'm going to wrap it up unless you want to. I mean, I kind of skipped over question five (laughs) and six, but I think we covered them in little bits throughout. And I actually like it a lot better as a free flowing conversation versus.
1: Fantastic. No, and and that's great. I probably should have prefaced it because I kind of know that when there's a list of questions and everything, I'm kind of organically going to weave through all of it,
0: <laughs> it it's perfect I, I try to be a good interviewer and listen to what you're saying so I, know I can skip it later well thank you so much for speaking with me today mac it was a real pleasure and really informative i'm really glad we had you on i hope you come on again soon
1: i i hope so too Stephen. this is an absolute delight i i love being able to come on and, and talk about versatility of soy markets you know things that checkoff is doing and and really soy's place in the world here um i I can't tell i do get very very excited about food and agriculture and i think the the promise and opportunities that are out there and being able to share a little bit about that really means a lot thank you so much for having me on hope we can do this again soon
0: yeah you've been an amazing guest thank you so much and thank everyone out there for listening we'll be back soon